and welcome to Four Points Online. We are so honored that you are joining us today. And if God is using this ministry to change your life, please let us know at fourpoints.org slash my story. It is because of your generosity that we are able to expand the kingdom. And if you would like to give and be a part of what God is doing, then visit fourpoints.org and select the safe and secure option, or you can download our app and choose to give there as well. Again, we are so excited to get ready to hear a powerful message from God's Word. Blessings to you. Hey, we've been in a series called Address the Mess. Has anybody here got any mess going on? Huh? <laughs> Yes, yes. I would say every single one of us, as we walked in here today, has a little bit of mess in our life. Well, Mark gave us a definition that he found on mess, and let's look at that. Mess is a dirty or untidy state of things or of a place, situation, or state of affairs that is full of difficulties. Now, you know what that sounds like? especially the last part of that verse there, a state of affairs that is full of difficulties. That sounds like parenting to me, huh? Can you help me a little bit here? Does that sound like parenting to you? I'm going to tell you what. When, when our first child was born about 23 years ago, from the, about the first day and a half to after she was born, it took me 40 minutes to put a car seat in, okay? And I just figured, out, man, if, it's, if this is anything like this, I am in for a ride. And then about time I thought I had it down pat, I had it knocked, and, and me and Kim had got it down, all of a sudden that child hits adolescence. You know what I'm talking about. And then all of a sudden, everything they told you is just gone to whack. And then they get that little thing with their picture on it called their driver's license. And then all you do is worry for a couple of years about what's going to happen to them. As we look at the Old Testament, though, almost all of the Old Testament, basically every book there could be titled Address the Mess. Would you not agree? Because it's God's journey with people as he addresses the mess. The Bible is full of messy people. I mean, it really is. I mean, it's about a holy God who loved the mess so much that he knew for him to be able to address the mess, he had to give the most precious thing in his life, his son, to redeem that mess. And so this morning, if you're a parent here, we're going to talk about how maybe you can address that mess. And we're going to continue to look at Psalms chapter 1, the pastor scripture that we've been looking at in this series. And if you'll look on that with me, and, and they're going to put that there on the screen. Look what it says there in Psalms chapter 1 there. Blessed, fortunate, prosperous, and favored by God is the man, or basically the parent, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, following their advice and their example, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit down to rest in the seat of scoffers or ridiculers. Now, last week, Pastor Mark broke down several key words there in that passage of Scripture. They're walk, stands, and sits. Look at that. Walk means to adhere to. In other words, he's saying we don't need to adhere to what the world says about parenting. We don't need to stand or abide by and go along with what they say. And we definitely don't need to sit and dwell or abide with what everybody else says that we should do as parenting. 
When it comes to parenting and the family, here's what this verse could be saying to us. Avoid the racetrack of life. How many of you feel like parenting could be summed up with two words? Racetrack. Right? I mean, it's a big circle, isn't it? You know, Uber ain't got nothing on you, does it? I mean, that's what it is. As a parent, it's so tempting to give into, to adhere, to abide by all the activities and the events around our lives or our children's lives. So parenting, in a sense, could be boiled down to a race from one place to another. Isn't that right? Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you raced to get to church today? Y'all be honest now. All right, the last group, they were honest, but so some of you are going to be honest, okay? How many of you had a fight on the way to church? Some of you did, did you? Huh? Hurry up. Get here. You better hurry up. Get in the car. We're going to be late. We got to go worship Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that what we do? You know? They get in the car, one kid's legs half hanging out the door, and you take off. You're fussing on the way to church about them being late. You get to church, you get out. Hey, brother, how you doing today? Isn't it a great day to be here at church? Isn't that what we're doing? Your, your kid's looking at you like, God help them. You know what I mean? <laughs> Have you ever heard of hurry sickness? Have you ever heard of that? Some of you, I imagine, are probably a victim of it. You're, you're addicted to hurried sickness. Here's what hurried sickness is. You, let's say you go to, go to Walmart or, or you go to the grocery store. And you get ready to go check out, and, and, and basically you check out and you, you observe all the lines, and you stress out a bit which line you need to get in, okay? You get up there at the checkout counter, and you start looking, and, and you run the numbers. I'm a math guy, okay? So you look at, okay, how many people's in line, plus how many, how many things they've got in their buggy, divided by the age of the cashier. And that's, that's, that's the line that you get in. And then you're stressing as you're sitting there in that cashier lane because you're looking and you want to make sure that you made the right choice. And then, man, if you did, you high-five the cashier and you run out of there and look at everybody else like you just won the lottery, you know, because you're, you're so much in a hurry. And then maybe some of you, you're that same person that you get to a stoplight, you're running up to a stoplight, you're on a, you're on a three or four-lane highway there road, and you're counting how many cars is in each lane. So you can get to the quickest lane. You ever done that? Yep, hurry sickness. Yeah. I want, let me ask you a question. How many of you back in the day, okay, went in to pay for some gas, basically, all of a sudden go out to your car or something, you jump in your car, you don't get your gas? Anybody ever done that? Yeah. You about run out? Yeah, I've done that. Let me ask you this. A number of years ago, true story. I got out, pumped some gas. This is when you didn't have to pay for it at first, Austin. I got out, jumped out there, and pumped my gas, and somebody called me. I had the phone laying in the car. So I got in the car, answered the phone, just started talking, started the car, put it in gear, and drove off. Went somewhere that was going somewhere to eat lunch. I reached down in my pocket and realized I had the same amount of money. And then it hit me. I thought, oh, my goodness. I just drove off and didn't pay for my gas. I'm looking around, see if there's any you know, policemen coming after me, anything like that. So I hurried back to get back. To the station, I walked in there and said, you know, hey, I'm sorry, I forgot. Yeah, you didn't pay for your gas. I said, I'm sorry. He said, yeah, one of your young people is in here. And they said, yeah, that's my youth pastor right there. <laughs> so, you know, it was, that was a, was, a, was a big mess, and I tried not to do that. But look what the, this passage here, the, the second part of that passage there says, it reminds us that blessed is the parent that does not get sucked into the way the world operates. Look at the rest of that verse there. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. 
And on his law, his precepts and teachings, he habitually meditates day and night. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had, had the wrong perception of somebody or the, or the wrong conception of them and, and you basically kind of judged them before you ever knew them? I hate to admit that, but I, I, I did that. I've done that, and, 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 and I'm trying to be transparent and honest to you. But I had a pastor friend the first time I met him, and I just thought, you know, something. I said, I, you know, I'm not going to like this guy, and he's going to be kind of weirded out. And, and I really made a, just really a bad opinion of him. But you know what? As long as my perception of him was wrong, as long as my perception of him was inaccurate, then I really didn't know him. I didn't know him like he was, okay? But I, all, I could not only know him, but I, I wouldn't trust him, okay? Now watch this. Your misconception or perception of God shapes your relationship with him. If you're confused about God, if you have a distorted view of God, then that confusion or distorted view can create barriers between you and God. Now listen to this. You can't delight in a God that you struggle to relate to. Okay? You can't trust your child to a God you don't trust. You see, a lot of us don't get it when it comes to God. Because what you believe God thinks about you determines how close you grow toward Him. If you don't believe God loves you, it's going to be hard to love him. If you think you have to measure up or you have to earn his love, then let me tell you something. You're setting yourself up for failure because you can never earn God's love. You don't have to do that. Maybe some of you here, you're brought up in a church and, and you know when you were younger or, or a few years ago that taught you that God's love is performance-based. And, and, and you know if you didn't perform then you would never measure up. And you try to do all these things, do this and that, do that, and, and, and it doesn't work, guys. You see, these misconceptions about God create a barrier in your relationship with Him. A.W. Tozer said something that I found that was really neat when it comes to this. What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about you. Listen to this. In other words... Your view of God will shape everything you do. Your view of God will shape everything you do. As a parent, you can't trust God if you've got a warped perception of Him. So we need to hit the refresh button in our life. Now, can I encourage you this morning with God's Word? Listen to this. Look at Zephaniah 3. 17. Look at what it says there. It says, For the Lord God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. That word there, Savior, means that He rescues you. He redeems you. He changes you. He gives you hope. Listen, if you're here this morning and you feel hopeless, your Savior is here to give you hope. Look what it says. He will take delight in you with gladness. God is not ashamed of you. He delights in you. He made you. He's excited about you. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. God is not limited by your circumstances. 
God is not contained by your education or lack of education. He's not contained by your environment or the way that you were raised or who your parents were. Your past doesn't have to limit your future. Take the limitations off of God and yourself. You don't have to perform for God to love you. His love is unconditional. You may be facing some temporary delay this morning, but that's okay because God has a fresh start and a new beginning for you, but you've got to claim it. Listen to me this morning. If you don't think you're going to make it, you won't. If you don't think you can be successful, you never will be. If you don't think you can overcome your past, then you'll be stuck right where you are. We have to change our thinking. And until you know God as he really is, you'll never become all that he created you to be. You see, a lot of us just don't get it when it comes to God. Let me tell you something. If you don't get it, meditate on it. Did you hear that? If you don't get it, meditate on it. Listen to this. Take that same verse there in Zephaniah chapter 317, and I want you to make that verse personal. Look at this. For the Lord my God is living among me. He is my mighty Savior. He will take the light in me with gladness. With his love he will calm all my fears. He will rejoice over me with joyful songs. Take that verse this next week. Put it somewhere. Put those words in it and begin to claim that passive scripture. On Wednesday nights, I try to encourage our students to really realize what God thinks about them. Uh, you know, some of them have been put down. Parents have said bad things about them. Others have said things about them. They've been passed from one home to another. And so I try to encourage them to maybe go through the alphabet and, and list things that God says about them. God accepts me. God believes in me. God cares about me. God died for me. God encourages me. God forgives me. God gives me hope. God helps me. God desires intimacy with me. God justifies me. God knows me. He loves me. He makes time for me. God never leaves me. Take the alphabet and make your list. And every time you start feeling down that you're no good, that you're not going to make it, and your past is eating you up, take those words and tell yourself. The Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. We live in a world that will do all it can to destroy us. You see, if we want to delight in God, then, then we have to refresh. But we also need to hit con reconnect. So how do we do that? Make prayer a priority in your life. As a parent, as an individual, as a student, make prayer a priority in your life. Look what it says there in Jeremiah chapter 29. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. <clears throat> you will seek me and find me <clears throat> when you seek me with your whole heart. Notice what it says there, if you seek me. What's the result? <clears throat> the Bible says if you seek him, you're going to find him, okay? If you delight in him, if you desire him, you're going to find him. To seek means to long for, to pursue. He says, come, take action, okay? Come to me. Take action. Worship me. Communicate with me. That's what that word there means. Come and I will respond. 
Go all in and you'll find me. You know what prayer is? Can I give you a big old theological definition? Prayer is practicing the presence of God. Prayer is practicing the presence of God. Maybe some of us need to just practice the presence of God. And then we need to pray God-sized prayers. In Philippians chapter 2 there, it says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Replace your worry with prayer. Replace your worry by practicing the presence of God. You see what we do? We just pray for small things, don't we, a lot of times. God, my child is making some bad choices, and, and God, I just need you to help them. I need you to turn them around. And, and I mean, back in you know, the day, we'd pray, you know, Lord, I hope they don't drink, smoke, dance, or chew, or go with girls who do. You know what I mean? That's the old prayer that we used to pray. We used to do that. We pray generic prayers. Let me tell you something. God wants your children to be more than just morally good. God didn't just create your child to be morally good. He created them for a purpose. But what if we prayed, God, I'm not only asking you to turn my child around, but God, I want you to use them in a great way. God, I want you to make a great impact in our society through them. You see, we need to pray God-sized prayers. And then we need to pray for open doors. If you want your child, or if we want our children to be fruitful and the leaves to never, never wither as they get older, then we need to pray for open doors. You see, the problem for some of us, we have American Christianity and we've been tamed. We'd rather settle for something safe and predictable when it comes to our children instead of a wild, unpredictable mystery. Faith has been reduced to a comfortable system of beliefs instead of an uncomfortable encounter with God. We need to know God as He really is, and we need to make prayer a priority in our life. I came across this story uh, this past week or the week before as I was studying for this message. And, and it's a story about a young girl by the name of Jenny, and she was 17 years old, and the church that she had attended was going to have a day retreat for adults. But, but a couple of young people asked if they could be part of it, and they told them, sure, that's okay, we'll let you be part of this. And so they, they attended, and, and they spent the day there singing, reading scripture, worshiping, meditating, and then, then at the end there, they were asked to journal, and then they were given a task to write out if God were to write them a letter, what do they think that letter would say? And so that's what they all began to do. And then they came back together, and the leader asked some of them to share their stories. Well, typical adult crowd, nobody wanted to do it and would do it. But Jenny volunteered, and she said, but there's one thing. I kind of changed it up a little bit. Instead of just writing the letter that God would write to me, I wrote a dialogue between him and I. If that's okay, I'd love to share my dialogue. And so here's how it went. And here's, here's what she wrote. I feel awkward because it's been so long since I've been near you. I've missed you too, child. I think about you every day. But I've messed up. I, I've done a lot of things that I regret. It's okay, child. I forgive you. I don't understand. I, I turn away. I ignore you. I'm still here. 
I forgive you. I'm right beside you. I tried to live without you, even though I know down deep inside that you're still part of me. You don't have to make yourself lovable. I love who you are. I made you. Even after everything I have done and everything that has happened, would it offend you if, if I called you bizarre? I am bizarre. Way more bizarre than you'll ever imagine. This may sound strange, but Jesus, could I ask you something? Could I ask you to hold me? for a little while my child I've been waiting for you with outstretched arms you see gang we need to see God as he is we need to make prayer a priority you see after Jeannie read her dialogue there wasn't a dry eye in the place and all the adults responded I'm not going to follow that Jeannie was still able to hear the thin silence of God. Listen to me. Christianity is not so complicated, is it? All we need to do is listen to the whisper of God. We need to reconnect, and then we need to delete, and we need to log off. You see, I don't believe our desire has ever been to stop hearing God's voice. But all of a sudden, we find ourselves in that desolate place where we can't hear God or sense God. Are any of you there? God kept speaking, but our lives became louder. The ear-piercing noise of busyness and the soul-smothering of volume of our endless activity has drowned out the still, small voice of God. I wonder, can you hear it? You see, that's what the, lace, the racetrack does to you. As a parent, that's what life does to you as an individual. It drowns out the voice of God. A book I was reading had a story about a farmer, and you think, well, you know, Pastor Stephen, why in the world are you telling us about a farmer and, 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 describe, and describing cows? The farmer said that cows will go from one tuft of grass to another. In fact, they'll even get right up next to a fence, and if the cow notices a, a clump of grass on the other side of the fence, if there's a little hole there or, or break or, or something in the fence, that that cow will literally stumble through that fence to get that grass and then find himself on the road. And, and basically, he said that, that that cow will nibble its way to lostness. Listen to me this morning. That doesn't just happen to cows. None of us intended to wander from God's voice. None of us intended to get into that relationship. None of us intended to wander away from God. None of us intended to give in to those voices. You see, that's what the story is of King Solomon, the wisest man we feel like ever lived. Solomon spread his devotion. His ungodly relationships led to ungodly practices. He didn't quit loving God in his mind. He just shared his affection for God. Listen to me, parents. You can't divide your devotion to God. You can't do that. 
You can't put your children above God. I see that happen all the time. I don't think we mean to do it, but we can do it. Listen to me. Let me warn you. If you do, it could be very detrimental to do that. Ungodly relationships led to ungodly practices. You see, Solomon thought the commands of God didn't apply to him. We live in a world, a nation today, that thinks the commands of God don't apply, that we can take what we don't like in the Bible and undo it or put what we want in there. Listen to me this morning. As a parent, as a young adult, as a student here today, don't take God for granted. Look what it says there. Look what Solomon says there in Kings there, verse 4. The passage will be on the board. Look at it. As Solomon grew old... His wife turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. As a spiritual leader to your children, you cannot compromise your devotion to God. You see, Solomon's heart was not fully devoted to God. Solomon loved God. He served God. But he had let his heart drift away. He had other affections in his life. He had shared God with the other relationships. And his heart had turned away from God. As a spiritual leader, you cannot take God for granted. And you cannot think the commands of God don't apply to you. A number of years ago, there was a young boy that was about nine years old, and he had been taking piano, and he had gotten bored with his piano lessons. And, and I kind of imagine, as I think about that, I think of Jordan at nine years old doing that, Mark, kind of. And, and he, he had gone to this, and so his parents wanted, wanted him to hear the great Paderewski, and, and he was coming to New York, so they decided to get some tickets, and, and they, they went to this concert, and like a typical little nine-year-old boy, they got there early, and after about 10 minutes, he was bored to death and started playing around, and, and his mother turned her head about five or 10 minutes before the concert was to start, and this little boy ran up on stage at that big Steinway piano there and sat down, and the curiosity killed him, so he started playing chopsticks. The people there were furious. They didn't know what to do. The crowd was roaring. The stagehands were confused. And, and that great pianist could, could hear the commotion. And, and, and he got his tuxedo and put his jacket on. And he ran out there. And he saw the little boy playing chops, chopsticks. So he got out there on stage. And he came up behind the young boy. And he whispered in his ear, don't stop. Don't stop. Keep playing. You're doing great. And Paderewski sat down beside the boy and played a concerto based on the tune of Chopsticks, all the while whispering to the young boy, you're doing great. Keep playing. You're doing great. Keep playing. Parents, as you look at your life, as you wonder what difference will you make as you battle through the racetrack, as you go around that circle, I hope you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit of God saying, don't stop. Don't stop. Keep playing. You're doing great. Don't stop. Don't stop. 
keep praying. You're doing great. Don't stop. Don't stop. Keep praying. You're doing good. Listen to me this morning. I hope the Spirit of God has challenged you today. And I hope God's Spirit has maybe convicted you of the time that you spend with Him. That maybe the Holy Spirit of God has encouraged you to let you know that He's there for you. That He understands you. That He made you. That you don't have to earn His love. He loves you just like you are. No matter what you've done. No matter where you've been. No matter what's happened in your life. Our God is pursuing you. He sent His Son so that you could have a relationship with Him. And He wants your life today to feel that love that pours out all over it. Will you bow your heads with me this morning? Maybe you're a parent here today and you would say, Pastor Stephen, I need your prayer. Pastor Stephen, I need to let God take over in my life as a parent. Pastor Stephen, I need to hear that still, small voice again. I need to hear the silence of God because I've just drifted away from it. If you're here this morning, that's where you're at. Nobody looking around. Would you just look up at me or raise your hand real quick and acknowledge that so we know how to pray for you? Thank you. Anyone else here? Just say, pray for me, Pastor Stephen. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else here this morning? Hey, thank you so much. Maybe you're here this morning. And you can't hear the still, small voice of God because you've never asked Him to step out of heaven and step into your heart. You don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't know Him as your Lord and Savior. This morning, God wants to step out of heaven through His Son, Jesus Christ, and step into your heart and give you that new life, give you that purpose so you can delight in Him and know Him as He wants you to know Him. If you're here this morning and you need to make that decision this morning, you need to come to Christ. Would you just raise your hand or look up at me so we can know that and have somebody pray with you? Thank you, man. Anybody else here this morning? Anybody else here today? Thank you, Lord. Here's what I'd love for you to do as we begin to see. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you for that. Anyone else here today? You just say, I need for Christ to step out of heaven and step into my heart. Anybody else here today in that situation? Anyone else? We're going to sing a closing song here in just a minute and maybe you need somebody to pray with you this morning maybe you need somebody to talk with you about being a parent and, and what you're going through today if you need to do that we'll have counselors here to pray with you and to talk with you and to share with you they're here if you've made that decision to come to know Christ I encourage you to come and let one of them pray with you talk to you about that and help you to know what your next step needs to be Heavenly Father, we love you, we praise you, we lift you up, Father God. We come to you, Jesus, in the power of your Holy Spirit. God, we feel your presence here today. God, we thank you for what you're doing here in this service. God, we thank you for those that have stepped into your kingdom, Father God. Father, we pray for them right now. Father, I pray for those that are struggling to just be accepted by you. Those old words and those old thoughts just come in and, and, and just seem to creep on them, Father God, and push out what you're trying to tell them. Father, I pray for the parents here, Father God. And I pray for those that still just need to hear your voice. Father God, as we close out this service, Father God, and as we worship you, may you just speak through this song, Father God. We love you, Jesus. 
In your holy and powerful name we pray.